Lifetime. Keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic drive time. Welcome to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. And today is Monday, March 6th. 2023. It is the Feast of Our Lady of Nazareth. In 1182, a Portuguese knight named Dom Fa Rapono was out hunting when he chased a deer to the edge of a cliff overlooking the sea. The deer fell to its death and his horse reared up dangerously close to the edge, putting his life in peril. In desperation, he prayed to the Virgin Mary for help and promised to build a chapel in her honor if he survived. Miraculously, his horse regained its footing, and he was saved. In gratitude, Dom Fa built a small chapel over a nearby cave where a statue of the Virgin Mary was venerated. According to legend, the statue had originally been venerated in Nazareth during early Christianity, and when iconoclasts began destroying statues, a monk named Serracio took the statue to a monastery in Spain near Merida. In 714, during the Muslim invasion of the Liberian Peninsula, King Rodrigo fled with the statue and a friar named Garmano to the Atlantic coast, where they hid it in a small cave near the site of what would now would become Nazare. The statue remained hidden until a shepherd discovered it in 1179. Wow, really cool story. Praise be to God. Our Lady of Nazareth, pray for us. Praise be to God. Really cool story. Well, good morning to you. Happy Monday. It's been a long weekend, so it's not good to be back in the saddle. Well, I have to tell you about this. The I had a pretty pretty awesome weekend, to be honest. I'll have to tell you about it during the after show. That's 30 past the next hour. And uh, thank you to everyone who wished me a happy birthday yesterday. Yesterday was, in fact, my birthday and the Feast of St. Adrian, coincidentally. And I'll be offering a rosary for everyone who did uh, wish me happy birthday or pray for me or any of those things. Uh, be offering a rosary in Thanksgiving for you guys, so I'll be doing that today. So thank you. Much appreciated. Uh, but good morning to you, Tito Edwards. Good morning, Adrian. <clears throat> I had a great weekend. Thank you. Tito, what did you do this weekend? Well, we went and did some uh, service, Works of Mercy, by uh, going and praying rosary and having Mass with some elders at an uh, elderly facility. And uh, other than that, we got things cleaned up in the house and shopped on Saturday and did our best to uh, celebrate the Lord's Day yesterday. Thank you. Awesome. Praise be to God. Yeah, the, the hard part is always trying to get your shopping done on Saturday. I was, I'm like, oh, I just, can I put it off till tomorrow? That's literally the worst day to go. You should yeah. do during the week. Yeah, it, <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. Usually the best day to go is Sunday, but it's also the day you shouldn't go. So I'm like, oh, no. I guess I got to go Saturday, so I was at I was at HEB Saturday shopping. Thank Here, you. everything's better. It's true. There, there is everything is better at HEB. Uh, I think that actually stands for like Henry E. Butt. Henry E. Butt. Yeah, the guy's last name is Butt. Uh, Henry E. There you go. So I think that's a really originally what it stands for, and people just like tagged onto it. Here, everything's better. There is your, your H-E-B history that you did not ask for today. You're very welcome. Marketing crash course. Your marketing crash course. <laughs> um, at 15 past the hour, we're going to discuss this story that I just saw. Very concerning. Uh, black students forced their white peers to pledge allegiance to BLM at an elementary school. And the students who refused were assaulted. This is elementary school kids. I'm going to tell you about that story 
and 15 past the hour. At 30 past the hour, Samuel Gregg with the American Institute for Economic Research is on with us to discuss the U.S. inflation crisis. Very concerning as well. The economy, I'm just telling you, walking through HEB, looking at the prices of things, no. It's definitely something's up. Definitely something's up. So we're going to get to the bottom of that at 30 past the hour. And you know, over the weekend, on Saturday, super cool, I went to Port Arthur, and we did the pilgrimage. Very awesome. We carried this huge statue of Our Lady of Victory. It was a stone statue, and the wooden platform was handcrafted by one of the people who used to help lead the pilgrimage. And the reason why this guy no longer helps the pilgrimage is because he went off to become a priest. Very cool story. I'll have to share more about that pilgrimage. I'll share more about it during um, the next hour, during the after show. So make sure you hang out with us. And uh, But yeah, very cool. Very, very cool. So let's jump into the show. We will be, oh, in the next hour, we're also going to be playing our Fear and Trembling game show. So make sure you go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT. There you can actually find our phone number listed, and you can write it down, and you can be prepared to jump into the game show as soon as that becomes available to you. But let's jump into prayer. We're going to be praying for your intentions. I'm going to be praying for my friends, my family, my benefactors, and all those that I promised to pray for. And I'll be praying for whatever it is that you have on your agenda for this week. So let's pray together for the month of St. Joseph. We'll pray a prayer to St. Joseph, the Virgo Pater. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. O Joseph, Virgin Father of Jesus, most pure spouse of the Virgin Mary, pray for us daily to the Son of God, that armed with the weapons of His grace, we may fight as we ought in life and be crowned by Him in death. Behold the faithful and prudent servant whom the Lord set over His house. Pray for us, O Holy St. Joseph, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now your headline news with Tito Edwards. Today is Monday, March 6, 2023, in the year of our Lord. And these are your headlines for today. The Associated Press, Walgreens won't be selling the abortion pill by mail in 20 states. Last month, the Attorney Generals of 20 states warned CVS and Walgreens that Federal law expressly prohibits using the mail to send or receive any drug that will be used or applied for producing abortion. In response, Walgreens has agreed not to sell the abortion pill by mail in those states. UK News reports Indian Christian educators were granted bail in a conversion case. India's Supreme Court has restrained police from arresting two Christian educators in a case that accuses them of involving in mass conversion in the northern state of Uttar Pradesh. Devin Watkins at Vatican News reports that Pope Francis expresses his sorrow for a recent migrant tragedy in the southern Italian town of Cutro, which killed at least 70 people, including 16 minors. Pope Francis condemned the role of human traffickers in contributing to such tragedies, saying they throw away the lives of so many innocent people. And finally, Stevan J. Bose at Vatican News reports that the chief of the Russian paramilitary group Wagner says his fighters have practically encircled Bakhmut, the eastern Ukrainian city the Kremlin has been trying to seize for months. 
Ukrainian forces are fighting to keep Bakhmut under the control. Fierce battles are raging in the urban center, once known for its salt and gypsum mines and the site of a famed winery with sparkling wines. Many of its 71,000 residents have fled. But those who stayed behind now risk their lives if they leave. I'm Tito Edwards, and these are today's headlines through a Catholic lens. The Gospel of the Day comes from Luke chapter 6, verses 36 through 38. Be merciful then as your Father is merciful. Judge nobody, and you will not be judged. Condemn nobody, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and gifts will be yours. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken up, and running over, will be poured into your lap. The measure you award to others is the measure that you will be awarded to you. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. The commentary on the Gospel comes from Cornelius Lapide, but first, you know, it's kind of funny. This is the only scripture passage that many people know. Many people, the only scripture passage that they're aware of is judge not. That's it. That's the only passage they know. They don't even know the whole, the rest of it. All they know is judge not. And it's often mistaken as to what exactly is meant by judge not. Now, Cornelius Lapide explains what is meant here. He says, judge not rashly and malignantly that ye, Christ does not here prohibit the public judgments of magistrates. So first of all, he's saying, hey, look, obviously I'm not saying that you can't have judges, so at least, the very least, we can have judges, right? So clearly our Lord's not making the point that you can never judge anybody. Otherwise, the whole entire court system would have to be thrown out, right? And so Cornelius Lapide is making the point, clearly this is not the case. And by which they condemn the guilty and dissolve the innocent. For this is necessary in all commonwealths, but only private judgments, and that when they are rash, envious, or detractive, for they are repugnant to charity and justice, yea, to God himself, whose office of judgment is usurped. For we have not been set to be judges, but companions of our neighbors. Wherefore, if we have an evil opinion of him, we do an injury, and we take away his good fame, if we let this judgment go abroad. For reputation is a great good, greater far than riches, so says St. Jerome, Bede, and Basil. The gloss says that there is scarcely anyone who is found to be free from this fault. Here, St. Augustine, he says, Concerning those things, then, which are known to God, unknown to us, we judge our neighbors as at our peril. Of this the Lord hath saith, Judge not. But concerning things which are open and public evils, we may, and notice what he says here, we may and ought to judge and rebuke but still with charity and love, hating not the man, but the sin, detesting not the sick man, but the disease. Very, very important here. He's very clearly saying public evils, public evils, not just may we judge them, but we must. That's what he says when he says ought. We ought to judge and what, is he, what does Cornelius Lapide say here? He says, not simply judge, but rebuke these open and public evils. For unless the open adulterer, thief, habitual drunkard, 
traitor were judged and punished, they would be fulfilled, which the blessed martyr Cyprian had said, he who soothes a sinner with flattering words administers fuel to his sin. St. Anthony gives the cause of perversiveness in rash judgment when he says, we are often deceived as to the motives of actions, the judgment of God, who sees all things in another thing from ours. But it is right that we should suffer one with another and bear one another's burdens. So St. Athanasius in his life. Here's a very important point. There are these things which are often forgotten in the modern world. Uh, things called accessories to sin. Accessories to another person's sin, which in and of itself is in fact a sin. So if you assist someone in sinning, that in fact is a sin among, uh, that comes onto you. And so which, what is one of them? One of them is to soothe a sinner with flattering words and that administers fuel to his sin, as St. Cyprian talks about here. This is a very important point, because if you are soothing a sinner, you're making it okay. You're telling them, oh, it's okay that you're sinning. And to do that is a grave sin in of itself. So to justify someone else's sin is a grave thing that we have to avoid at all costs. Leonidas, Bishop of Cyprius, in his life of St. John the Almanor, relates in his life, who converted many harlots was slapped on the face and judged to be a fornic fornicator by a certain person. But this judge was in turn slapped on the face by the devil and possessed by him and could only be delivered by coming as a suppliant to the cell of Vitalis, who was dead. When he came thither, there was found written on the pavement by the hand of God, O ye men of Alexandria, judge not before the time until the Lord shall come. Wisely saith St. Bernard, Make an excuse for the intention with which a thing is done. When you cannot excuse the thing itself, set it down, if possible, to ignorance and inadvertence. So what is this said here? He's saying, look, you may not be able to judge the individual soul. We can judge the action and say, yeah, that action is bad. But we should do everything in our power to not condemn our brothers. We should do everything in our power to try to excuse our brother and say, well, maybe he didn't know better, so let me correct him. It's not simply enough to just excuse a crime and just say, oh, yeah, this person didn't know better, therefore it's okay. Instead, they didn't know better, therefore let me correct my brother. Let me lead him on the path of righteousness. Let, him, let me set him back on the path of Christ. So let that be the lesson for today. And don't let anybody tell you, oh, the Bible says judge not, so... Therefore, anything goes. Therefore, I can do whatever I want. Because remember, that's not what Judge Not meant. Uh, check out the rest of what Cornelius Alapidi had to say. He had a lot to say about this topic. But we'll be right back with more Catholic Drive Time after this break. Hey, Donnie, what two important things do we receive when we go to Mass? Scripture and the Eucharist. Great job. You're so smart. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. 
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. I would imagine your pastor preaches from the text which says, We preach Jesus Christ crucified. So then, where's the crucifix in your church? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, history. Under the dread of persecution and death, the crucifix was displayed at Mass, but with great caution due to the threats of the Roman emperors and the pagan haters of Christianity. Traveling up through time, Pope Pius V in 1570 made it mandatory to display a crucifix in every church. Secondly, the Bible. 1 Corinthians 1. One says, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block. You see, there was never any embarrassment of his corpse. In fact, two men of great renown, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, boldly handled the dead body of Jesus. And thirdly, my comeback. You see, at times, the early church held mass in the catacombs to honor the shed blood of the brave martyrs. Sad to say, many contemporary churches don't even have a cross in their church, let alone a crucifix. Also, could a crucifix on your neck cause others to think you are Catholic? St. Peter, it must have been horrible when you heard that rooster crow. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca, and good morning to you. It is Monday, March 6th. Praise be to God. Another week, another opportunity to offer up your work for the greater glory of God. It's a lot of stories that I thought were very interesting happening, and this one particular story caught my eye, and I was trying to find other people reporting on it. And I literally could only find one or two outlets talking about this issue. And I was kind of surprised by that because this is, it was shocking to see. And there's a video of it. And I won't show it to you but guys, but the video is kind of disturbing. So the headline is, Black students forced white peers to pledge allegiance to BLM at elementary school. Students who refused were assaulted. This is very concerning. And I think this is a direct result of the race relations that we are fomenting in society and saying that black people are all oppressed and the white people are all oppressors. This is what it's, this is the result of that kind of indoctrination of our children. During the racist incident, several white students were punched in the head by black counterparts for refusing to pledge allegiance to the communist BLM movement. Others were dragged, thrown to the ground and carried to the playground. It's absurd. And I was like, this is no way this is real. So I went and watched the video, and that's what happened. It goes on, the whole sickening event was reportedly filmed by the black students. We don't have access to the to the footage that the students filmed on their phones, which here's another question. Why are elementary schools kids having phones, especially having phones that they have access to during recess? What's up with that? That's a whole other topic, but... Stop, do not let people have phones. That's crazy. Let's see. But when uh, WHIO-TV asked the Springfield City School District for a copy of the tape, they refused. Are they attempting to obfuscate the truth? WHIO reported, police are investigating reports of an assault at Springfield Elementary School involving two groups of students. Monday morning, Springfield police were called to Kenwood Elementary School about an incident that happened during recess Friday. According to an incident report obtained through a News Center 7 public records request, police were informed by the student's principal that a group of black students had gathered several white students on a specific spot on the playground and forced them to state Black Lives Matter against their will. The police report states, students who tried to avoid the situation were chased down and escorted, dragged, or carried to the playground. The report alleges 
The group of students, I don't know why it says alleges, there's footage of it. I watched it. The group of students also alleged filmed the students who were forced to make the statement. If they did not comply or try to avoid the situation, the students were chased down. Some students reportedly were dragged, thrown to the ground, or even punched in the face. Ryan Springer and Ashley Hinthorn said their 12-year-old son was one of the students forced in the playground. Quote, I mean, I'm angry as a parent, but I understand they're children. It's not okay to hate anybody because of their skin color or their gender or sexual orientation or anything like that. Nobody should be hating anybody, end quote, Springer said. Yes, this is a this is another crazy thing to me. I If I was a, that, that parent, I would have been absolutely livid. There's no possibility that I would have had that kind of reaction and been like, oh, well, it's bad. But I understand. They're just kids. This is... Uh, clearly, because they're elementary school kids, you shouldn't try them with a with a criminal charge because they're children. But they certainly should get an expulsion, a suspension, something kind of grave punishment that the that the uh, school can give out, something like that. And the parents of these kids should be punished, should be tried. They should be. It should be found out what are these kid these parents teaching them? What are these parents talking about to their kids? That they would act in this way. She goes on and says, I kept asking him all weekend, are you okay? And he kept saying, yeah, I'm just tired. And then when I got the phone call on Monday about it, I was like, that explained a lot. Their son has not wanted to return to school. And Springer said he is traumatized. Springfield police told News Center 7 that they are investigating whether the incident is a hate crime and working with prosecutors to review any possible formal charges. I'm just curious, what would have happened if this was a group of white kids who dragged a bunch of black kids over into the playground and, I don't know, forced them to, I don't know, say something racist against um, maybe endorse the KKK or something like that? What would have happened? What would have been the response from the media? If this would have gotten nationwide coverage. It would have been these kids would have been kicked out of the school. The parents probably would have been put up on charges. But yet, in this situation, have you even heard of this story? Did this story come up on anybody's radar? I certainly didn't hear about it. I came across it on accident. Absolutely absurd. And then here's the real problem. The critical race theory, the BLM movement, all of these things are fomenting hatred for white people. And the necessary result of that is more of this. Because these kids are imbibing these ideas. They're being told, it's not the kid's fault. These kids are being told, you are being oppressed by white people. White people are evil. And so you need to fight back against the white people. And so what happens? These elementary school kids are like, okay, well, that's what I do. I understand. And so what do they do? They go to school. And they drag these kids. I was watching. They punched some of these kids in the face. I was, I was absolutely flabbergasted. What would could possibly compel a child to act that way? They're simply bullies. That's <clears throat> as, as someone who's uh, witnessed and experienced it uh, growing up. Yeah. Uh, a, a white Mexican like myself, but uh, Hawaii is a unique exception. The <clears throat> ultimately uh, in my short, long life, it's the parents who are responsible for raising the kids. It is the parents that are indoctrinating 
their children like this. It reminds me of Greta Thornburg when she spouts all that wokeism, globally gawk. It's parental, it's child abuse by the parents. What needs to happen is that these students need to be put on final warning, if not expelled from school. And if they are on final warning, they need to have some sort of uh, re- redress on what they've done wrong. And, and, and given an opportunity to recant what they did, what they've done, apologize to the students, or this will continue. They're, at the root of this, they're, they're just being bullies. There's something wrong at home. But yeah, they're being indoctrinated by TV, by the media, by their parents, most especially. And yes, there's some sort of fault or ret- not ret- yeah, ret- justice needs to be compelled upon these parents. Yeah, the parents, I can only imagine the, the parents are probably... Probably, I, I say probably because, I mean, like you said, it could be the television, it could be their phones, they could just be getting this on their own with their technology, which is another problem. Uh, the kids should not be having cell phones in elementary school. Uh, why would a child in elementary school need a phone? That's only going to do damage to these kids. There's no good reason, especially if we think back and kids in the past, I mean, maybe you, maybe your parents... Did they give you a phone when you were in elementary school? Did phones even exist when you were in elementary school? How did you get around? Were you able to survive without it? They're in elementary school. You should be dropping them off at school and then picking them up at the set time. No need for a cell phone. I didn't have one in elementary school, and I'm not that old. Very, very concerning. And the real problem is the critical race theory. It's the idea that some races are less than other races. And people call it reverse racism. This is not reverse racism. It is simply racism. It is simply racism to be against white people, to hate white people. Why is that controversial? I don't understand. I was, what I was talking to, I was talking to somebody recently, and they were saying how I am so glad that I am not white. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I guess you're right because. The only people you're allowed to be racist against are, in fact, white people. And that's a flabbergasting to me, how that's allowed, how that's permitted. It's absolutely flabbergasting. And so, yeah, we hear all this talk about that the white man is bad and that everyone else is oppressed, yet everyone can be racist against white people. You can say any kind of vile, evil thing about white people, and nobody cares. Nobody. But if you dare say it about anybody else, whether it be Mexicans, whether it be about black people, whether it be about Asians, anybody else, you're a racist. But if you say the white man is the devil, if you say the white man is any kind of anything else, you're free to do so with no retribution, and that has to change. Racism is wrong to anybody. And what is racism? The critical race theorist will say, will try to redefine racism to only apply to minorities. But racism is simply thinking of someone as less due to their race. That's all it is. And so if someone thinks that white people are less due to their race or think there's something wrong with them just due to their race, that is racism. And it must be condemned across the board. No exceptions can be given. And this is going to cause more and more problems. And here's another problem. It's going to create racism among white people. Because whenever you're being attacked, there is always going to be a reactionary movement where people 
say, absolutely, I'm fed up with this, and they turn, and they're going to start actually being racist. Because that's what's going to happen. Because people are reactionary. We as humans are reactionary people. And so whenever people attack us, there is going to be a, hopefully not, but I I predict that it's going to be a violent attack backwards. Where people are going to react and say, absolutely not, I'm fed up with everybody calling me racist. And so if they're going to call me racist, then I will be racist. And I predict that that's what's going to happen among more and more white people. And then you're going to actually see racism happening. And then people are going to say, see, look, this is how we were right. All these white people are racist. It's happened already. It's happened already. All these race wars. Very, very concerning. Let's pray for everybody involved. Let's recognize the fact that we are all made in the image and likeness of God. It is our human dignity as inviolable because we are made in the image and likeness of God. And that image of God has nothing to do with the way we look, has nothing to do with our skin color, has everything to do with our soul, has everything to do with our rationality. So if we destroy our rationality, if we destroy our use of reason, if we destroy our souls, that's what makes us not in the image and likeness of God. That's what takes that image away from us. What is that exactly? That's a mortal sin. So let us stay in a state of grace. Because those who are in a state of grace, those are the people that I love, that I want to be beside. Those are the people that are part of my community. I want to be with people who agree about that Christ is king. I don't care about your race, your ethnicity, where you're from. None of that matters to me. The only thing that I care about is do you profess our Lord and Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world? Do you recognize Our Lady as Queen of Heaven and Earth? And if you do so, well, then you're my brother, you're my sister, and I will be on your side, and we will fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil, because those are the true enemies of mankind. Not each other. The world, the flesh, and the devil. So let's do battle today with those enemies. Let us rise up against the devil by praying the rosary and We'll be right back with more Catholic Drive Time after this break. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Is the Bible sufficient to answer all questions about Christian living and church life? Well, the answer is definitively no. There isn't agreement on scores of doctrinal issues, such as the effects of baptism, who can receive communion, once saved, always saved, abortion, or how about eligibility for marriage after divorce? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, fruit analysis. Luther, Calvin, and Zwingli, who are the fathers of non-Catholic Christianity, did not rid the unbiblical practices they despised, but instead turned out to be the progenitors of some 50 denominations and scores of divergent beliefs. Secondly, natural reason. Well, if the Bible alone is supposed to clarify all beliefs, the very fact that such division prevails is actually proof that an arbiter of doctrine is desperately needed. And thirdly, the golden twins. Sacred scripture and sacred tradition will always prevail as the foundation of all Christian truth, doctrines, and beliefs. Remember, identical twins come from one egg. It's to truly save souls. It's to save souls, and we have a lot of different media platforms, whether it's through our TV, radio, music, and it's all promoting this culture that is really here to kill, still, and destroy souls. And to have that 
Catholic voice on the air that is proclaiming the good news and able to touch and transform lives, um, what better thing to support? The Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time Show. Today is Monday, March 6, 2023, in the year of our Lord, and these are your headlines. Yucca News reports U.S. Supreme Court to consider the violation of a religious liberty. Gerald Groff, an evangelical Christian, says he was denied an accommodation to observe his Sunday Sabbath. The High Court is scheduled to hear oral arguments in Groff versus DeJoy, a case concerning Gerald Groff, a Christian and former U.S. Postal Service worker who was denied an accommodation to observe his Sunday by not taking Sunday shifts. Asia News reports one out of every nine Catholics today lives in Asia. Against this backdrop, Asia remains one of the areas of the world where the number of baptized people exceeds the number of Catholics who die. In the last 12 months, the increase in the total number was 1%. Catholic World News reports the chairman of two committees of the USCCB have announced their support of the Protection of Women and Girls in Sports Act. Quote, this bill ensures that biological females compete against other biological females in women's competitive sports that are funded through Title IX. And finally, the Pillar reports the Diocese of Amarillo assigned Frank Pavone to sexual harassment training after women alleged grooming, unwanted touching, and other misconduct. Those women say the response was not enough. For his part, a spokesperson for Priests for Life told the Pillar this week that false accusations against Pavone are unfortunate and the Priests for Life remains committed to its pro-life work. I'm Tito Edwards, and these are today's headlines through a Catholic lens. Thank you, Tito, for keeping us up to date. And joining us right now via phone is Samuel Gregg. He's with the American Institute for Economic Research, and he is going to be on with us to talk about the U.S. inflation crisis, among some other economic issues that are happening in America today. Uh, good morning to you, Mr. Gregg. Mr. Gregg, are you there? I am. Awesome. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, good morning to you. Good morning. Yes, sir. The you know this very the situation in the U.S. financially is really concerning. I was at the grocery store actually Saturday, and when I was shopping, I don't really shop that often. But when I do, I, I and because I don't shop that often, I really, really notice whenever things change because I'm like, I haven't been to the grocery store in like a month, and now everything is I'm spending twice the amount of money that I did for the same products and sanities. So oh, what is the current status of the U.S. inflation? Because I've been told that everything's hunky-dory, but I don't think that's true. Well, unfortunately, you are right. Everything uh, is not so good on the inflation front in the United States. So the highest level we hit last year was something around about 9%. In terms of the actual cumulative number, it's something like 7%. And in the last inflation figures, which we had back in January, uh, it actually went up a little bit. So what that tells us is that all the effects of very low interest rates, all the effects of quantitative easing, which the Federal Reserve uh, engaged in in the early uh, 2010s, but then came back with a vengeance uh, during the pandemic, added to that all the federal stimulus spending, the three packages that went through Congress and were 
uh, presided over by both President Trump and President Biden, all that money uh, is floating around in the economy. And that has basically driven up prices. Inflation is always a monetary phenomenon. That's the thing one has to keep in mind. Inflation is ultimately driven by the money supply getting out of whack with the real economy. So you shouldn't be surprised to find that in everyday life, all of us are experiencing situations whereby our food bill costs more, uh, our car repairs cost more, our clothing costs more, and it's noticeable. I mean, that's the interesting thing. Ordinary, normal people see it straight away. So inflation is often talked about in terms of uh, statistics, numbers, and often very abstract models. But I think the reality of it is really bearing home on Americans today. Now, the Federal Reserve is trying to do something about it. That's why it's been jacking up interest rates for quite some time. And I don't think they're done. I think they're going to keep going, not least because of the uh, recent rise in inflation that we experienced back, or we registered, I should say, back in January. So we are not out of the woods. And as the Federal Reserve jacks up interest rates, we're going to find things like the housing market. Uh, interest rates there are going to continue going up. We're going to find construction going up. So it, it's flowing. All these effects of the Fed trying to deal with inflation are flowing through the economy. And the big concern, of course, is that in the process of do, doing so, in terms of jacking up interest, in, interest rates to purge the economy of the poison of inflation, the risk is that the Fed could crash the economy. I don't mean a, um, I don't mean a Great Depression or something like that, but what I am talking about is a recession. So the Fed is going to have to manage this very, very carefully uh, to, to achieve the end of getting rid of inflation, of purging it from the bloodstream of the economy without crashing the system. Well, Mr. Gregg, that leads to a very interesting question, right? The is the question of recession. I've heard many people saying that we're already in a recession, but then I've heard from the White House saying we're definitely not in a recession. And it feels like the definition of recession is all over the place. So what exactly do we mean when we say recession and are we in one? Well, the technical definition of a recession is two consecutive quarters of negative growth, which means that the economy doesn't grow, means that the economy contracts. So um, this is this is always retrospective, right? Because we can't know what's what's immediately happening in front of us. When we look at things like growth and recessions, we're always looking backwards. And we actually had two quarters of negative growth last year. People forget that. So and that technically counted as a recession. So whether we're going to have one or not, I mean, I, I'm not one of these. Um, people who work in economics who say, you will, you will, this will definitely happen or this definitely won't happen. Too many economists, I think, make that mistake of trying to um, predict these things with that degree of accuracy. But what is very clear, I think, is that we're starting to see a slowdown in the job market. We're seeing particular parts of the economy, construction, housing, and others, where um, the growth that it was experiencing before is starting to subside. Uh, I think we'll see in different parts of the economy there are layoffs going on, particularly in sectors like the tech sector where uh, layoffs are happening. The interest, the in, unemployment rate is starting to tick up a little bit. 
And then we're also seeing the what's called the labor participation rate, which is the percentage of people who, who can work and want to work, uh, who are working. We're seeing a lot of those people drop out. We have one of the lowest labor participation rates in American history right now. So all these are economic indicators that don't necessarily say we're heading for a recession. What they do say is we're heading for a period of time of uh, of much more uncertainty, much more economic uncertainty than, than we're typically used to. In the question of the student loans that were coming up recently, this happened a while ago, and many people who had massive student loans were very excited about it, and then it kind of got shot down, and now it's back up again. What's the question of the student loans issue? Is that going to be a huge net negative or many people are arguing that it's actually going to be good for the economy because now their debt's paid off and they could be contributors to society. And so, therefore, the Biden student loans are actually going to be uh, a, a net positive for the economy. Well, uh, there are all sorts of things one could say about the student loans, right? So, first of all, there's the constitutionality of what President Biden did. And President Biden, when he did this, seemed to even indicate himself that he wasn't even sure that what he was doing was constitutional. So we're going to find out from the Supreme Court whether the constitutionality of Mr. Mr. Biden's measures in this area um, uh, stands up. I suspect it doesn't. I suspect the court will rule against it. So this point will be rendered mute if that, if that indeed happens. The second thing about um, this is that by forgiving all this debt, um, that is... If that actually happens, the short-term consequence will be that a lot of people will suddenly be able to plow their money back into the economy. Well, that might be good for growth. There's also um, the very real chance that that could contribute to inflationary pressures. (laughs) That's not a good thing. The more long-term thing one has to think about is that this would be an example of the federal government basically uh, annulling free contractual arrangements Mm -hmm. that people entered into freely of their own will uh, in order to go to college. So how will the federal, how will the loan market for students react? They will react by jacking up interest rates. Mm -hmm. They will react by jacking up interest rates because that's the only way they can protect themselves against what effectively is a massive bailout and a massive overturning by executive fiat of hundreds of thousands of freely entered into contracts. There's also a justice element to this as well, right? Think about all those people who've done the right thing, worked hard, and paid off their loans. Right? So, right. so this is deeply problematic economically, constitutionally, and morally as well. Right, 100%. I think that's not something that people should not uh, shy away from is a topic of the morality of it. Because we do have a principle of justice. We have to pay back our loans. If we take out something, we should be obliged in justice to to pay off our loans. So I think that's a very important point to bring up. Uh, We're going to go to a short break. When we come back, I want to ask Mr. Gregg about the labor participation rate. That's very concerning. Plus, the issue in China. How does that affect us? We'll be right back with more. 
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Because Jesus said in Matthew 23 that no one should be called rabbi, father, or teacher, I'm sure you would never call one of your teachers teacher, would you? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, a Catholic no-no, calling a priest father. Well, what about Paul calling Timothy, Titus, and Onesimus his sons? No doubt his spiritual sons, but is it not proper for a spiritual son to call his spiritual father father? This reverential title should never have generated such a big point of contention. Secondly, the New Testament. In Acts 7 and Romans 9, we see the term father being used, referring to Abraham and some of our great patriarchs. And my take, isn't context everything? When Jesus is speaking to the multitudes, it's oftentimes in the language and style of hyperbole. His discourse was not focused on titles or ecclesiastical guidelines. Jesus was once again warning against giving honor where honor is not due. Next time you see your pastor, just say, hey, preacher, uh, it just seems so lacking. Listening to Catholic Radio and getting excited about learning about your Catholic faith can be, well, infectious. I converted in my 20s to a Protestant, and uh, this is the first time I've heard Catholic Radio. I've been listening to it for a couple hours driving. First time I've ever heard Catholics actually excited about what they believe. I'm going to tell you what, this has been uh, one of the greatest two hours that I've had in a while. And a special thank you to our donors for keeping Catholic Radio on the air. Thank you, and may God bless you. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. And joining us right now is Mr. Samuel Gregg. He's a distinguished fellow in political economy and senior research faculty at the American Institute of Economic Research. Uh, We're talking to him about the U.S. inflation situation. And before we went to break, I had mentioned that I wanted to discuss the labor participation rate. Uh, That's very concerning. He, He had tweeted out a couple days ago or maybe a little bit longer than that, saying this is the employment number that should concern Americans, our abysmal labor participation rate. Some Americans have stopped looking or decided they don't want to work or couple together enough forms of welfare rather than work. And it's a chart that is very concerning looking of everything going down, down, down. Uh, Mr. Gregg, what's the situation with the labor participation rate and why should we be concerned about that? Well, our labor participation rate has been steadily declining for a while. And, of course, COVID uh, put a major dent in it. And it hasn't really recovered to the degree that it should have uh, now that the COVID emergency and the government measures that went along with that that prevented people from working has gone away. So what's going on? Well, I think partly there's some there's some demographic things happening. We're having an older generation of people who are, retiring. The the boomers are on their way out, so to speak. And that's a very big demographic chunk. So as they go out of the labor labor force, we'll see some tick down in the labor participation rate. Uh, There's also quite a few people who took the opportunity of deciding to retire as a consequence of COVID. They decided, well, I was planning to do this in two years' time. I may as well do it now. So that's another factor. The more concerning factor, however, is the labor participation rate of uh, younger people, younger working age people. And by that, I mean between the ages of, of 21 to 55. And what's interesting there is that the labor participation rate is considerably down. It's down much further than what you would think it should be. And there are many reasons for that. One is that for a long time, especially as a result of COVID and government uh, handouts, basically, to large segments of the population. A lot of people decided they would cease working and continue on these handouts. 
So that's one thing. Uh, that means that there are enough people out there who believe that they can cobble together enough with through handouts or disability payments or, or some other combination of welfare measures in order to basically uh, be able to exist relatively comfortably without working. In fact, there's no incentive for them to work <laughs> because they get more by way of these payments and benefits than they would otherwise by getting a job. So that's the problem. What's even more problematic, though, is that this seems to be manifesting itself among young men, young men. There are a lot of young men who are taking advantage of this situation to basically check out of the workforce. So the image we have of uh, a good number of men of this age sitting in their basement playing Call of Duty in their parents' house is not too far off the actual reality of what we see happening in that particular demographic when it comes to labor participation. What's the, situ- so, what's the solution for that? Well, there are many solutions, and none of which are particularly palatable, right? So one <laughs> is we have to change the incentives, and you change the incentives by making it much harder for young men to uh, access, or you just pay people in general, making it much harder for people to access these types of payments by making eligibility harder, by putting things like work requirements in place. There are lots of things you can do to switch people's incentives back to the workplace. But I also think it reflects a more general cultural trend, which is work is not seen as something that brings dignity, that is something that can help us transform ourselves in ways that we're supposed to become like, that give expression to, to our dignity as the only being who is a creative being, who is a, besides God, of course, uh, who, who works, etc. So there's a, there's a whole way of thinking about work from a cultural perspective that seems to have disappeared from the mental horizons of a good number of Americans. So it's not just the economic damage that's occurring as a consequence of people not being economically productive in the sense that they're not working. It's also the fact that when people stop working when they can, that can't be good for the way they understand themselves or the way we understand our place in the world. Dr. Greg, this is a Tito Edwards. We were just thinking uh, during the break how much food prices, our, our grocery bills have nearly doubled. And uh, yes. I felt I have felt it. We have some. We have all felt it here in this, this studio. And I I was thinking about this, and I can't remember a time when it hurt my 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 budget, especially. And I've read about it, and I kind of heard about it in high school or growing up about what Jimmy Carter and his policies and what happened with the the gas prices. That's the last time I've heard something like that. So to me, this is very disconcerting. I'm, I'm just curious. Do you have any prognostications as to how long this will last? Will it get worse? Uh, what are we looking at? Well, as I said, it's difficult to make prognostications uh, because I think that um, economics is very good at sort of teasing out likely trends of what's going to happen. It's very risky, though, getting into the business of saying this is definitely what is going to happen. So here's my prognosis, my general prognosis, is that this is going to be with us for a while. And the reason is that it takes a while for the interest rates increased by the Federal Reserve to work their way through the economy to have a dampening effect upon inflation. Uh, The goal is to get back to 2% inflation. That's 
that I think that's what we should be doing, but that's going to take time because we're considerably above that. The third thing I'd say is that it doesn't help when you have uh, the federal government and some state governments engaging in continuing to engage in significant degrees of deficit spending because that pushes more money, so to speak, that we don't have <laughs> into mm. the economy. But I think what you just said at the beginning, I think, is very important. There's that most people in America today have no idea, no sense of what it's like to live in an inflationary economy. I was a child in the 1970s, <clears throat> and I can remember my parents talking to me about what inflation was, why it was so destructive, the way that it basically erodes the wealth of our money, the capacity of our money to purchase goods. So, I mean, part of the problem here is that we have entire generations of people who have no experience of what this is like, and so they're, they're uncertain about what to say to people, they're uncertain about what to say to their, their legislators about these sorts of this particular subject. So there's a big knowledge gap when it comes to inflation, and that means that people are generally uncertain about how to deal with it. Now, we know how to deal with it. We do know how to fix this problem. The problem is it's painful. There's no easy way of fixing inflation. To, to, to basically, um, to basically uh, stop this trend from going on, you basically have to take money out of the economy. You've got to fix the money supply side of things. And that can be very painful, particularly when uh, Americans have been used to easy money policies from the Federal Reserve for such a long period of time. Absolutely. So the, it's like getting off a drug. It's like getting off a drug. And that's, that's what makes it painful. Absolutely. It's, there's so many factors to consider. Like you said, there, it's hard to try to nail it down to just one issue. And I was reading the, this article by IBT, the International Business Times, uh, China's economy is steaming again, what it means for commodities, inflation and stocks. And it cited Drew actually, and it said China's renewed demand for energy and raw materials is likely to increase the price of these commodities. This will likely create more inflationary pressure in areas like the European Union where the price of energy is already high and where energy accounted for something like 40% of inflation in the Eurozone at the end of 2022. I thought that was interesting because, okay, that's what's happening in the in Europe. What about the U.S. where we have our ESG scores and all these issues with our clean energy? What is the effects of China and clean and these, and these energy sector on the U.S. inflationary rate? Well, the the main problem with China um, re-entering the global economy, I mean, there's lots of good things about China entering the, re the global economy, uh, re-entering the global economy, but the, the downside is, is that, remember, they've been shut. Large parts of the Chinese economy have been shut for a long period of time. Now they're going to be demanding energy, whether it's oil, whether it's coal, whether it's raw minerals, they're going to want this. And that's where some of the big pressure points for inflation are manifesting themselves in the economy right now. So the problem we find is that as the European Central Bank, as the Federal Reserve increase interest rates, at the time they're trying to sort of to dampen down inflationary expectations, as China re-enters the global economy, that's going to fuel inflation. So it's, it's like throwing kerosene. You're trying to put out a fire and then someone comes along and throws a little bit of kerosene mm. or petrol or gas on the fire, right? So that's, 
That's the problem. Um, uh, in terms of things like uh, the clean energy, clean energy drives, all these sorts of things that are going on in America, um, I don't see those as having too much uh, to do with inflationary pressures. The problem that those things uh, produce, I think, are eroding things like America's comparative advantage when it comes to energy production. We're very good at it, even despite the current administration's clampdown on it. We're still very good at it. And I worry with some of these things like ESG, clean energy bills, all these sorts of all, all these sorts of measures, which I think are ultimately ineffective. Uh, they're going to make life very difficult for people in those sectors of the American economy. Well, Mr. Gregg, we're just about out of time. My last question for you is what should the average American try to know about the situation and prepare for the future and the American economy? Well, there's many things they can do. I think getting an understanding of what inflation is and where it comes from is very important because, as I said before, uh, we have entire generations of people now who have no experience in America of what inflation is like, and that of, often reflects the fact that they don't know how it's caused. And as I said, ultimately, inflation is a monetary phenomenon. It's something that's driven by usually the Federal Reserve and the federal government uh, making serious mistakes in monetary policy. So if we're going to deal with this in the future, we're going to have an under, we have to have an understanding of what it is, how it's caused, and understand that once you let the inflation genie out of the bottle, it's really hard to put it back in. It's not impossible, but it's very painful. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Samuel Gregg. Make sure you check out, he has many articles. He wrote a book on this topic uh, or a similar topic. Samuel Gregg, a distinguished fellow at the Political Economy and Senior Research Faculty at the American Institute of Economic Research. Thank you, Mr. Gregg, for joining us. Thank you for having me on. God bless you. And that's going to do it for the first hour of Catholic Drive Time. Join us in the second hour. We're going to have our game show, Fear and Trembling. Plus, we're also going to be having the after show, and I'll share with you about the pilgrimage I went on. We'll be right back with more. When each of us will be asked to review the movie of our life and give an account to God, we will sorrowfully relive the bad times and joyfully revisit the good. Thankfully, no matter what you've done, there is hope. Since Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to save it. So if you've been away from church for a while, we invite you to come home and find the peace that only comes from God. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. In your view, was the Virgin Mary simply an obedient woman who willingly gave biological and maternal matter to Jesus and therefore has been given undue adoration? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, the Bible. The Virgin Mary is in the first book of the Bible, the last book of the Bible, all through the Gospels and close to 15 other typologies throughout Scripture. Secondly, the Ark of the Covenant. It was the most revered object in the history of the children of Israel. 
Israel. That ark carried the presence of God. Well, goodness, the Virgin Mary did not just carry the presence of God. She carried God himself. Thirdly, something to think on. If God is a father, he is, and we are known as his children, we are, and the body of Christ are called brothers and sisters, they are. Wouldn't God provide a mother for his church? He did. So here's an idea. Ask a wartime veteran whose soldiers cry out for in a moment of fear. That's right, their mother. Mother Mary, pray for us. I've been listening to Guadalupe Radio for a couple years now, and I think it was a bumper sticker I saw on somebody's car one time, and it's a radio station that I don't have to be concerned about or worried about. When the kids and I are driving, I don't have to worry about inappropriate items. It's just the opposite. It's educational. I've learned so many different topics and on different subjects that I couldn't believe being a Catholic and being baptized as a child. There's so many things I didn't know, and now in these past couple years that I've been listening in, I've learned so much. Celebrating the culture of life. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Hi, my name's Alyssa Vigil from St. Ignatius of Loyola Catholic Community. And you're listening to AM 1430 KSHJ Houston. Part of the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Welcome to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca, and it's good to be here today. Praise be to God. It's always good to be here on Catholic Radio. What are you off to today? Work? School? Got some chores to take care of? I'm sure you have a lot on your plate to go on this week. You know, I was thinking about the last hour and the situation with the economy. And I was just reminded of uh, 2 Thessalonians 3.10. If you don't work, you don't eat. Very simple. Very, very straightforward. St. Paul telling the Thessalonians, if you don't work, you don't eat. Very straightforward, right? It's, it sounds like something that was out of some conservative said it or some ec- economist said it. But no, no, this is simply the situation of the Bible. If you don't work, you don't eat. I mean, the the pilgrims in the Mayflower, when they came over, they try to set up this society without uh, this kind of pseudo-socialist society. And what did they discover? Well, turns out the Bible knows what it's talking about. If you just let people not work and be fed anyway, well, they're going to choose to not work because work is hard. And so if you can give the option most people would choose not to work. You gotta skip them the situation and say, hey, look, I appreciate you as a child of God, but at the same time, you better go plow the fields or you're not going to have some bread on the table. Very, very important to bring up. Uh, what do you think about the conversation, Tito? I thought that was very informative. <clears throat> I wanted to uh, ask him more uh, about the idea of work and and getting uh, in there and and, and uh, create you know creating your character out of work. He mentioned how the younger generation was dropping out and not returning because of the incentives and benefits that the the current administration has been doling out, and they're still doling out. For some reason, I thought they stopped, but I, I apparently not. But it it goes again to 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 what Saint Paul said. We were mentioning this, and, and now uh, I don't have not memorized where this was said, but St. Paul said, 
that if a person does not work, then that person does not get to eat. And, and there's a lot of uh, theology to unpack there, which I, unfortunately I'm not an expert on. But we, have to, we also have to remember in the Acts of the Apostles, when they lived communally, that backfired majorly because of what happened. People started slacking off. Others had to increase their output just to get by. And when everybody realized they were getting free, so-called free stuff, everybody stopped working and that community dissolved. And, and we've seen this repeated time and time again uh, throughout the, the history of the world. And the U.S. did it several times in small communities from prior to the Revolutionary War and afterwards. Work is an important implement, uh, part of our lives. When Adam and Eve sent, Adam and Eve were sent to work when they, when they broke the covenant with God. We have to labor under our brow. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it might be a good idea to talk about, do a whole show dedicated to the topic of work. I think Leo Thirteenth wrote several encyclicals on this topic that I think would be very beneficial to cover. Because, yeah, I mean, people kind of have this idea that life would be better if there was no work. And we know that can't be true because in Holy Scripture, we see from Genesis, you know, the Adam and Eve was tilling the ground even before the fall. He had to tend to the garden. But it was after the, the fall when which work became more difficult and they had to work by the sweat of their brow because... Before the plants, the animals, the rain, the sunshine all cooperated with us. And now we kind of have to work against it because sometimes the sun stays out, dries up the ground. We don't get rain and we're working in a drought. So work became much more difficult after the fall. But work was foundational even from the beginning. And so when we see the situation in the world where people don't want to work, and they say, I want to be able to be free to do what I want. Maybe I'll go do a painting or maybe I'll become an artist or I'll explore the greater things. I'll have time for leisure. Well, one, nobody's actually doing that. They're all just sitting home and playing video games and watching Netflix. And two, we can echo the words of our Lord when he says, in the beginning, it was not so. There was never a time where man did not have to work. It was not that way at the beginning. And it's not going to be that way now. Amen, brother. <clears throat> we have to remember that uh, everything we've earned, everything we work for, it's granted by God through his own benevolence. I can say I'm pretty certain right now there's about a 100,000 other people uh, that would love to, work, to, to put in the same amount of time, effort, and 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 uh, learn on the job that they that are not granted success that are not granted gifts we are so fortunate to live in in, the, in America for some reason which we don't deserve but we do but, but we do have it god has blessed america with so much work that brings profitability that brings us comfort that brings us food on the table S say an elon musk I'm sure there's 100,000 other people with a genius and the work ethic of Elon Musk in some third world country that are not succeeding on the level that Elon is. And that's simply because God has blessed this country and we are throwing it away when we choose not to work, when we're 22 years old and we want to go out and party all evening, sleep in till noon 
and then lethargically get out off the couch or off your front yard. This is a a travesty of what's going on, of people just checking out or planking out, as they say in China, just time to uh, throw away my responsibilities. And unfortunately, it's young men and, and it is causing a mental health crisis in this country. People being depressed yep. beyond belief. Yep, 100%. Uh, Leo the 13th, well, maybe we'll do a whole show dedicated to this topic and cover rerum novarum, encyclical that's often forgotten in the modern world, but so necessary, talking about the situation of work. And maybe we'll go find someone who is an expert on rerum novarum and discuss the situation with work. The problem is a lot of these people who claim to be experts on these topics tend to be more socialist-leaning for some reason, and they kind of see the defense of the working man as a class struggle, which is absurd because uh, all the popes condemned communism and all its forms and saying that you cannot even be a moderate communist. Even that would be condemned. So, yeah, it's a very very fraught situation. And I think it is. there is a lot to be said about the mental health situation um, because... I think I think you're right, Tito. That a lot of the mental health issues do stem from the situation of saying, "Hey, I have no purpose in life," and so people need a purpose in life, and that often comes with work, with finding meaning in doing something and creating something and building something. And I guess a lot of that also has to do with like the soul-sucking jobs of like standing in front of a computer screen all day. It's exhausting and in a way that you're like, you leave work and you're like, man, I'm exhausted. I didn't do anything. I just typed all day. Yet you're mentally and just physically exhausted. Why is that? I always thought that was the strangest thing. And Because I feel the same way. I'm like, I didn't lift any heavy boxes. I didn't carry anything. I didn't dig a ditch. Yet at the end of the day, I'm like, whew, I am ready for a nap. I might be able to shed some light on that. I, I think... Screen time, when you're in front of a computer, it, it does affect you in some way, especially all the light uh, emanating from the monitor. That's why you'll notice many, many people who spend a, a significant amount of time in front of their computers tend to have a dark mode on there because the white light coming out, it does exhaust your brain. Your brain is fun- is connected to every part of your body, so it, it's a little bit... Uh, drains the brain and and when it does that your rest of your body becomes sluggish you have you have a little fog it's always good to get up and walk around or do some exercise prior or after uh sitting in front of the screen for eight hours six to eight to twelve hours but uh it it does have an effect on on you and and i've learned uh the hard way uh to all when it when uh, before coming on here i I'd work almost all the time in front of my home desk, and every two hours I'd have to get up, walk the dogs, or do something because I'm going cuckoo. And and imagine these people, these young adults, without God. I mean, we have we can say this: it's God is not in their lives, so they don't have that hope. And then not to have something to live for outside of God, and you re, and then you remove work from your schedule. It's it's not surprising to see the rise of mental illness, the people in depression, the the, the increase of drugs that people are continuing to take, uh, just to uh, remedy their their sadness, their loneliness, their depression, and it's just it, it's not surprising to see what we see now in TikTok and Instagram and all these deaths and suicides. It's just a travesty. Yeah. So here's another thing that I think is interesting. 
is what do we do on the weekends? That's what I think is interesting. We get two days, typically, most people get two days off of work. And at the very least, you should have at least a Sunday off of work. I mean, this Holy Scripture says six days you shall toil. On the seventh, you shall rest. So working six days isn't the most absurd thing in the world, though I do like a two-day weekend. It's much better. But whenever you have the weekend, what are you doing with it? Are you simply just vegging out, turning on the TV, and not moving from the couch? Or are you doing something that is that is worthwhile? Are you spending time with your kids, with your family? Are you going to visit your grandparents, your parents? What are you doing on the weekends? Are you going to church? Are you making sure you have time set aside to pray, meditate, visit our Lord in adoration? What are you doing with the weekends? Are you spending time outside, uh, getting some sun? I know this weekend, this last Saturday, my parents and I and my little sister, we all went to Port Arthur for a pilgrimage, a Lenten pilgrimage, where we went out and spent time with other fellow Catholics. We went to Holy Mass, and then we walked five miles offering up penance for the salvation of souls and for reparation to Our Lady and to our Lord. It was very beautiful. And there was about 150 Catholics, and I was thinking, there should be so many more. There should be so many more Catholics showing up. And no matter what your job is, your job may be soul-sucking. You may say, I'm just doing this job because i got to provide for my family. And praise be to God, that is something that is so necessary. But on the weekend, if your job, if you hate your job, whatever your job is, you think, oh, I would rather be doing something else. Well, the weekend is a time to say, okay, I understand that I, this is what it's for. Let me go do something for the glory of God to refocus myself and realize that this isn't the end. I'm working towards something greater. And whether it be school, uh, so many kids are off to go to class and they don't, they don't like school. Very common experience. And saying, ah, I don't want to go to school. Well, when you realize that all these things can be directed for the greater glory of God. And on the weekends, we can do things that explicitly are for the greater glory of God. That can be something that is very encouraging, something that's very uplifting and inspiring. And I encourage everyone to try to find a Lenten pilgrimage this year. There's some going on all over the place. And if there isn't one, well, contact your priest and say, hey, don't tell the priest, Father, you should do this. Instead, say, hey, Father, myself and a group of people would like to plan a small little pilgrimage. Would you come and say Mass for us and maybe have benediction or some do some kind of leading, help us lead it? We will plan everything. You just got to show up, Father. Uh, do that. If you can't find a pilgrimage to join, start one. May, even if it's something small, what if you just process around the entirety of the church property? That would be a small, short little pilgrimage. Uh, maybe it's a big one, depending on your property. Uh, maybe you can find a shrine, a nearby church that's not too far away. Walk to the next church. Shuttle each other back over. There's definitely a lot of ideas that you could pick up that could glorify God and give some purpose to our days. Something to look forward to as dedicated to God. But we have our game show, Fear and Trembling, coming up. You need to call 877-757-9424. That number to be upon our game show, 877-757-9424. I'm looking, and these questions seem very easy. 
That number is 877-757-9424. One last time, the number is 877-757-9424. We'll be right back. Hey, Donnie, what do we say when we make the sign of the cross? In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Did Mama teach you that? As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. This is Dale Offwist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever heard someone say that the church needs to keep up with the times? G.K. Chesterton says that all this talk about keeping up with the times has been uttered hundreds of times before. To be up to date, he says, is a paltry ambition, except in an almanac. The church certainly does not need to imitate the secular world. In fact, what does the word secular mean? It does not mean worldly. It does not even mean irreligious. To be secular simply means to be of the age, that is, of the age which is passing. And in the case of anyone trying to keep up with the times, the age that is already past. So what the word secular really means is dated. The church's truth is never out of date because it is eternal. Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to share your Catholic faith with one another. Wouldn't it be great if everyone eagerly shared their faith? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. (laughs) The Catholic trivia game show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. That's number to call to be part of our game show, Fear and Trembling, 877-757-9424. We're waiting on you to be our contestant on the Fear and Trembling game show. I'm looking at the caller line, and right now we have zero callers on, which means that this is a perfect opportunity for you to pick up the phone and dial 877-757-9424. If you call now, you will be the contestant, because right now we have 100% opportunities for you to be able to call in and be our contestant. That number one more time is 877-757-9424. The game is very simple. I don't ask you the question. It'll be very easy for you because you have a 50-50 chance of getting each and every question correct. I ask Rudy and I ask Tito the question, and it's their job to tell me the answer, and you are supposed to try to figure out who's right and who's wrong. That gives you a 50-50 chance, and every right answer gives you a opportunity to win by putting your name in the coffee cup of Divine Providence to win this week's prize, which, what can they win, Tito? Thank you, Adrian. The prize for Fear and Trembling is a sticker bundle of Auspice Maria stickers from Worthy of Agape. 
Worthy of Agape is an online store that offers home goods, mass sets, stickers, and apparel. Shop at worthyofagape.com. Thank you very much, Worthy of Agape. Uh, or is just, oh yeah, Worthy of Agape. There we go. Worthy of Agape. Thank you very much for being our sponsor for this week. And we have somebody on the line, and I'm looking over, and we have several callers come in. So praise be to God. If you didn't get on today, make sure you call back tomorrow. Uh, just write that number down. And if you need to, go to our website, grnonline.com forward slash CDT, and you can find that information there. But joining us right now is Annabelle. Good morning to you, Annabelle. Good morning. Annabelle, where are you calling from? Frisco, Texas. Frisco, Texas. Praise be to God. I, it's nice to get people. You know, I, I love San Antonio. I love Dallas. But it's nice to hear a couple other cities outside of those two places. Don't you think, Annabelle? I agree. There is more to Texas than San Antonio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as great as San Antonio is, I agree. I agree. Uh, but, Annabelle, how is your link going? Okay. You know, hanging in there. Hanging in there. I know how it feels. I was sharing a, last week. My mother and I were chatting, and and she was saying, man, this Lent feels like it's been going on forever. And she told me that on Wednesday, and I was like, Mom, it's only been a week. <laughs> but praise be to God, yep. we're surviving it, right, Annabelle? That's right. One day at a time. One day at a time. Uh, where are you off to today? I'm actually getting ready to go tomorrow. Oh, praise be to God. Make sure you pray for us, and we we oh. definitely praying for you. We will, always. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Are you familiar with how the game works, Annabelle? Yes. Perfect, perfect. It's very easy. I'm going to ask Rudy, and I'm going to ask Tito these three questions. They're going to give me answers, and it's your job to discern who is right and who is wrong. Are you ready to play? Yes, I am. Well, then let's jump into it. Uh, Rudy, are you ready to play? I am ready. Let's Perfect. do it. Perfect. Well, let's jump in. The question on the board. Who is the patron saint of athletes? Well, it could be, not to be tricky, but it could be all of us, right? I mean, mm. we're all running the race. Am I uh, right? I see what am you're I saying. Am I right? I see what you're saying. But actually, it's St. Sebastian. Oh, okay. St. Sebastian, you're saying. Maybe there could be like a lesser saint oh, of running the race. Right. And right. that could be you, dear listener. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe if if you're a marathon runner and then you die and become a saint, would you become Patriot Saint of Athletes or a Patriot Saint of Marathon Runners? Probably runners. Probably runners. Yeah, yeah. probably. Okay, Tito, say, same question to you. Who is the patron saint of athletes? The patron saint of athletes, oh, that's, that comes from the root word of where we get athletes from. It's Saint Athleticus. Saint Athleticus, you say? Yep. Wow. All right. Well, that's a very good name. I Sounds very Roman, very Latin. I like it. All right, Annabelle, this might be a tricky question for you, but we'll see. The question is, who is the patron saint of athletes? Rudy seems to think it's St. Sebastian, whereas Tito thinks it's St. Athleticus. Uh, what say you? 15 seconds on the clock. Annabelle. Rudy, Rudy, Rudy. <laughs> Let's go. Way to go, Annabelle. You nailed it. There you go, Annabelle. She is clearly a wise woman. She keeps track of our show, and she knows all the ins and outs, I, I can tell. I can so tell. True. 
you know, St. Sebastian. I wonder why he's a patron saint of athletes. Is it because he got shot with arrows? Is that why? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. He got tied up to a tree. Tied and shot, shot with up. arrows. I don't know. I don't know what that is. But yes, the answer is, in fact, St. Sebastian. He is a patron saint of athletes. You're doing great, Annabelle. Are you ready for question number two? Let's go. Let's go. All right, Tito, question goes to you. What does incense symbolize? Incense, as it rises from the from the altar server during Mass, that means it's uh, the rising of the prayer to God. Rising of the prayer to God. Yeah. Okay. All right. Rudy, same question to you. What does incense symbolize? It symbolizes the neutralization of odors. Oh. Because... Uh, let me tell you, some people don't bathe before going to mass. Oh, <laughs> I, know what I'm saying. Saying. Yeah, I, know, I know what you're saying. Um, I'm not going to call anybody out in particular, but uh, <laughs> there's a certain person I know. Ooh, uh, wait. Who? Uh, all I'm saying is, uh, Father needs to use some more incense. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Annabelle, the question on the board is, what does incense symbolize? Rudy is saying that it symbolizes uh, neutralizing some of that uh, B.O., as one might say. The, that's very interesting symbolization right there. But Tito is saying that it actually symbolizes the rising of prayer to God. 15 seconds on the clock. Annabelle, what say you? Yeah, it's the prayers, so... It's the prayers? Rudy is wrong. <laughs> oh, Rudy is wrong. Wow. Very good. Annabelle, you got it. You got it. Yes, this now, incense. It does symbolize odor, it but, does. but a good smell, a good smelly mm. smell of uh, Christian virtue. That's so smell. true. So true. <laughs> and you know, it is the prayers of the people around the people that have the beer. <laughs> <Right. laughs> <laughs> you know, there, there's a church in Rome has this ginormous thurible that has incense in it. And it was originally created because the pilgrims doing the, the via, the, the way was walking in and it smells so bad. <laughs> and they would sleep in the actual church, and they put they had, that's why they create this giant thurible. Oh, that's literally the reason why. Yeah. Compostela. Compostela. There you go. So, and fun facts, fun facts. All righty, Annabelle, are you ready for question number three? I am. Then let's do it. Rudy, the question goes back to you. What is the Latin name of the canticle or hymn of the Virgin Mary on the occasion of her visitation to her cousin, Elizabeth? That is what's known as the Magnificat, and it's a wonderful, beautiful prayer, and it reminds us also of the kind of humility we should have. So maybe take a look. I'm going to give you a little homework here. Take a look at that prayer today. The Magnificat. Magnificat. So true. So true. Beautiful prayer. All righty. Tito. Yes, sir. The question goes to you. What is the Latin name of the canticle or hymn of the Virgin Mary on the occasion of her visitation to her cousin Elizabeth. Oh, I love the study of word structures and the origins. It's obviously the canticlism. Oh, the canticlism is the yes. canticle, you're saying? Correct. Interesting, interesting. Okay, well, Annabelle, oh, this is a very interesting question. The question is, what is the Latin name of the canticle or hymn of the Virgin Mary on the occasion of her visitation to her cousin Elizabeth? Tito seems to think that it's called Canticlism, whereas Rudy seems to think that it's called The Magnificant. Uh, 15 seconds on the clock. Uh, what say you, Annabelle? 
I believe it is the Magnificat. You believe it is Magnificat? Way to go, Annabelle. Three for three. Easy peasy for you. You're wow. you're just like nailing these questions. Not even difficult for you. You'd even need to you could have guessed them yourself, couldn't you? No, thanks be to God, I knew those this one. <laughs> okay, okay, praise be to God. Yes, the God, like you said, my soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God, my Savior. Amen. What a beautiful, yes. beautiful Amen. thing. Yes, today, take Rudy's advice, go look up the Magnificat, pray that prayer today. What a beautiful words that are our lady, out of the mouth of the Blessed Virgin Mary. What a grace. Well, thank you very much, Annabelle, for for calling in today. Um, what what's your what did you give up for Lent this year? If you do, don't mind me asking. Well, you know, I I'm trying to fast more. Oh wow! So, so in addition to additional prayers as well. Amen, amen. Fasting Actually, is the best yeah. best practice for Lent. I started doing the 54 uh, Rosary Novena. Oh, oh. nice. Nice. So, Annabelle, how fast can you go now? <laughs> <laughs> she's going to be the patron saint of runners. <laughs> All the fasting she's doing. Oh, that's so good. That's such a good joke. I'm going to have to do that. I'm going to use that. I'm going to use that. <laughs> the fasting. Why are, now, that I'm, now that I'm saying that out loud, why on earth do we call it fasting? What does that have to do with, like, it has nothing to do with, huh. All right, Annabelle, you, I have now been triggered to look up the etymology of the word fasting, and I'm going to have this discussion later. But thank you very much, Annabelle, for calling. And uh, make sure you stay on the line. We're going to put you on hold, and Tito is going to get your information so we can call you and uh, send you the prize if you're the winner for this week's prize. All right. Well, thank you so much. All righty. God bless you. God love you. And that's going to do it for the radio side of our show. If you want to join us, you can feel free to hop onto our YouTube, Facebook, Rumble, Odyssey, all sorts of places where you can interact with us directly. And I want to tell you more about this pilgrimage I went on. You're going to be very interested in some of these stories. Very, very interesting. But that's going to do it for today. Make sure you tune in tomorrow, 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern, if you can't join us in the after show. We have more on Catholic Drive Time. All sorts of good guests this week. So you're going to be wanting to tune in. But if not, we'll see you tomorrow morning, 6 Central, 7 Eastern, or on the After Show in just one moment. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. The Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. There's a whiteness in God's mercy, like the whiteness of the sea. 
There's a kindness in his justice, which is more than liberty. There is plenteous redemption in the blood that has been shed. There is joy for all the members in the sorrows of the head. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Lord be with you. My brothers and sisters, let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask, Blessed Mary, Ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Kyrie eleison. Kyrie eleison. Christ eleison. Christ eleison. Kyrie eleison. Let us pray. O God, who have taught us to chasten our bodies with the healing for the healing of our souls, enable us, we pray, to abstain from all sins and strengthen our hearts to carry out your loving commands. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the book of the prophet Daniel. Lord, great and awesome God, who keep your merciful covenant toward those who love you and observe your commandments. We have sinned, been wicked, and done evil. We have rebelled and departed from your commandments and your laws. We have not obeyed your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. Justice, O Lord, is on your side. We are shamefaced even to this day. We, the men of Judah, the residents of Jerusalem, and all Israel, near and far, and all the countries to which you have scattered them because of their treachery toward you. O Lord, we are shamefaced like our kings, our princes, and our fathers for having sinned against you. But yours, O Lord, our God, are compassion and forgiveness. Yet we rebelled against you and paid no heed to your command, O Lord, our God, to live by the laws you gave us through your servants, the prophets. The word of the Lord. Lord, do not deal with us according to our sins. Lord, do not deal with us according to our sins. Remember not against us the iniquities of the past. May your compassion quickly come to us, for we are brought very low. Lord, do not deal with us according to our sins. Help us, O God, our Savior, because of the glory of your name. Deliver us and pardon our sins for your name's sake. Lord, do not deal with us according to our sins. Let the prisoners sighing come before you. With your great power, free those doomed to death. 
Then we, your people, and the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. Through all generations, we will declare your praise. Lord, do not deal with us according to our sins. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, King of endless glory. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, King of endless glory. Your words, Lord, are spirit and life. You have the words of everlasting life. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, King of endless glory. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus said to his disciples, Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Stop judging, and you will not be judged. Stop condemning and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and gifts will be given to you. A good measure, packed together, shaken down, and overflowing will be poured into your lap. For the measure with which you measure will in return be measured out to you. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. On Saturday, we heard the Gospel according to Matthew, where Jesus reminds us to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. If we took that and we put the Gospel that we have today together, where Jesus says, be merciful just as your Father is merciful, we get a better picture of what the, the transformation of our life that has to happen. We have a great difficulty in understanding that God's justice and his mercy are one. We often think that God's justice is too harsh, but then his mercy becomes too arbitrary. For him, it is one, they, are, they are one and the same together. And so when the Lord tells us in the gospel to, to stop judging, it doesn't mean we don't stop judging anything, but particularly to, to stop from judging harshly, which we or, or rashly towards people. We have to judge certain things. I mean, that's part of being a human being. Because uh, we, we don't have all the information for everything, so we have to kind of, we have to make a judgment. But when we rashly judge things, people, intentions, how often we probably get it wrong. <laughs> and we have, uh, we have enough time, uh, trouble enough trouble understanding our own intentions. Forget about trying to understand somebody else's. But rather, if we refrain from that kind of judging, then the Lord says that he, he will, we will not be judged according to that same measure, the same thing with condemning. This is how we see, of course, Jesus forgiving, is that it, and being merciful. He's showing us what it means to be merciful. For the person that comes to him, even the person that, can, that, that uh, does not accept him, if he pours out his life, a good measure, practically they're shaking down and overflowing. That's the kind of mercy that we need. St. Augustine, in, in, interesting, in his own conversion, experienced, of course, God's mercy in a, in a tremendously powerful, powerful way. But even as he was trying to overcome his sin and to be, you know, be, to be free of that so that he could truly follow the Lord, to kind of go over that abyss uh, towards the Lord, he experienced what, what he called 
uh, or what I should say, I can paraphrase, I can't remember his exact quotation, but something like God's stern mercy, his stinging mercy. Maybe we think that when we experience God's mercy, it's always a kind of pleasant experience. <laughs> it may not be, because God's mercy cares for us so deeply. As, it, as I said before, it's part of his justice, because he's trying to get us out of sin in order to really live in his grace. So sometimes it may be ex experienced as something a bit austere, but thanks be to God. As I mentioned, if we put that call to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, to be merciful just as our Heavenly Father is merciful, perhaps the greatest image that we could, we could understand is our own, in a way, our own parents. How they, they raised us, they cared for us, and then we got into our teenage years where we started to rebel, and we started to say mean things. I said a lot of mean things to my parents. I wish I could take them back. But they didn't kick me out of the house. They didn't, not, they didn't take my food away. They didn't say, you're not going to be educated. They didn't, you know, they, they didn't do all those things. They punished me sometimes because I deserved it. <laughs> but, but they still cared for me. And the Father is, that's how he shows his great mercy, his justice, and his love. Is that nonetheless, his grace his rain, his sunshine shines on us, whether we are good or bad. It simply is by that, hopefully we are able to turn because we have experienced his goodness and his mercy and also his justice. Let us ask the Lord in this holy time of Lent that the, the graces of mercy that we have received from the Lord who has forgiven our sins would be unleashed for others. That's where those three things of fasting, prayer, and almsgiving should come into play. Especially almsgiving, which is to then, in this case, would be to show a deeper mercy and love for others, especially those, perhaps, who have offended us. And by prayer and fasting, by um, being for that kind of austerity in our life, it unleashes that, that mercy that, is, that God has poured into our hearts for others. Let us be merciful, just as our Heavenly Father is merciful to us. We should pour forth prayers at all time, dear brothers and sisters. But above all, in these days of Lent, we ought to watch more intently with Christ and direct our petitions more fervently to God. Let us pray for all Christian people that in this sacred time of Lent they may be more abundantly nourished by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for the whole world that in lasting tranquility and peace our days may truly become the acceptable time of grace and salvation. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For sinners and the neglectful that in this time of reconciliation they may return to Christ experiencing deeply his, his, his mercy, we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For ourselves, that God may at last stir up in our hearts aversion for our sins, that we may be merciful just as the Father is merciful, we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For all the intentions we hold in our hearts, for those who are joining us online through Guadalupe Radio, for those who are enrolled in our Salt Mass Association, with these intentions we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. 
Grant, we pray, O Lord, that your people may turn to you with all their heart, so that whatever they dare to ask in fitting prayer, they may receive by your mercy. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Love divine, all loves excelling, joy of heaven to earth come down. Fix in us thy humble dwelling, all thy faithful mercies crown. Jesus, thou art all compassion, pure, unbounded love thou art. Visit us with thy salvation, enter every trembling heart. Chief, come almighty to deliver, let us all thy grace receive. Suddenly return and never, never more thy temples leave. Thee we would be always blessing, serve thee as thy hosts above. Pray and praise Thee without ceasing, glory in Thy perfect love. Pray, dearly beloved, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. May the Lord accept the sacrifice at Your hands for the praise and the glory of His name, for our good and the good of all His holy Church. Accept in your goodness these our prayers, O Lord, and set free from worldly attractions those you, fought, those you allow to serve the heavenly mysteries. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks. Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, through Christ our Lord. For by your gracious gift each year, your faithful await the sacred Paschal Feast with the joy of minds made pure so that more eagerly intent on prayer and on the works of charity and participating in the mysteries by which they have been reborn, they may be led to the fullness of grace that you bestow on your sons and daughters. And so with angels and archangels, with thrones and dominions, and with all the hosts and powers of heaven, we sing the hymn of your glory, as without end we acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth, 
Plenisuncelia terra, Gloria tua, Osana in excelsis, Benedictus, qui venit in nomine domini, Osana in excelsis. You are indeed holy, O Lord and from the world's beginning are ceaselessly at work so that the human race may become holy, just as you yourself are holy. Look, we pray, upon the, your people's offerings and pour out on them the power of your spirit, that they may become the body and blood of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, in whom we too are your sons and daughters. Indeed, though we were once lost and could not approach you, you loved us with the greatest love. For your Son, who alone is just, handed himself over to death and did not disdain to be nailed for our sake to the wood of the cross. But before his, his arms were outstretched between heaven and earth to become the lasting sign of your covenant, he desired to celebrate the Passover with his disciples. As he ate with them, he took bread, and giving you thanks, he said the blessing, broke the bread, and gave it to, it, to them, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, Knowing that he was about to reconcile all things in himself through his blood to be shed on the cross, he took the chalice filled with the fruit of the vine, and once more giving you thanks, handed the chalice to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith, save us, Savior of the world. For by your cross and resurrection, you have set us free. Therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of your Son, Jesus Christ, who is our Passover and our surest peace, we celebrate his death and resurrection from the dead, and looking forward to his blessed coming, we offer you, who are faithful and merciful God, this sacrificial victim who reconciles to you the human race. Look kindly, most compassionate Father, on those you unite to yourself by the sacrifice of your Son, and grant that by the power of the Holy Spirit, as they partake of this one bread and one chalice, they may be gathered into one body in Christ who heals every division. Be pleased to keep us always in communion of mind and heart, together with Francis our Pope and Michael our Bishop. Help us to work together for the coming of your kingdom until the hour when we stand before you, saints among the saints in the halls of heaven, with the blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with blessed Joseph, her spouse, the blessed apostles and all the saints, and with our deceased brothers and sisters, whom we humbly commend to your mercy. 
Then, freed at last from the wound of corruption and made fully into a new creation, we shall sing to you with gladness the thanksgiving of Christ who lives for all eternity. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. At the Savior's command, informed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy, we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. And with your spirit. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, Qui tolis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, dona nobis pacem. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy. Only say the word, a soul shall be. For those who are unable to receive our Lord sacramentally in Holy Communion, we invite you to pray the act of spiritual communion with us. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. The King of love, 
my shepherd is, whose goodness fails me never. I nothing lack if I am his, and he is mine forever. Where streams of living water flow, my ransomed soul he leadeth. And where the verdant pastures grow, with food celestial Perverse and foolish oft I strayed, but yet in love he sought me, and on his shoulder gently laid and home rejoicing brought me. In death's dark veil I fear no ill, with thee, dear Lord, beside me. Thy rod and staff my comfort still, thy cross before to guide me. Let us pray. May this communion, O Lord, cleanse us of wrongdoing and make us heirs to the joy of heaven through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Bow down for the blessing. Confirm the hearts of your faithful, O Lord, we pray, and strengthen them by the power of your grace, that they may be constant in, in making supplication to you and sincere in love for one another, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace, glorifying the Lord by your life. Thanks be to God. The glory of these forty days we celebrate with songs of praise. For Christ, by whom all things were made, himself has fasted and has prayed. Alone and fasting, Moses saw the loving God who gave the law, and to Elijah fasting came the steeds and chariots of flame. So Daniel trained his mystic sight, delivered from the lion's might. And John the bridegroom's friend became the herald of...
The Prayer to St. Michael St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg Thee through the intercession and help of the Archangels St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary, we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord, amen. Celebrating 2,000 years of truth, this is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. I'm Tracy Sanchez from San Augustine Catholic School. You're listening to AM 1430 KSHJ Houston, part of the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. 